Howdy gang, y'all partners, and welcome back to Range Anxiety. 30 years of automotive experience in 30 minutes, coming at you today. It's a Monday morning here in sunny Adelaide, and yep, reminds me of the Wild West. Wasn't the Magnificent Seven a wonderful movie? As we're all growing up, well, at least my generation, we love cowboys, and we love cowboy movies, and we dreamt of being in the Midwest. And you know what? I was lucky enough to have actually experienced that myself. No, not riding around some Palomino with a Smith & Wesson on board, but more to the point, I got to see the true cowboys, the true cowboys of the boost turbocharged scene in Australia, and my God, weren't they incredible times. Forget about what you know now. There was no such thing as Wish or eBay. You couldn't buy Chinese junk $1 turbos. If you wanted to turbocharge a car, you had to have two things. Lots of money for turbochargers, brand name turbochargers, and a big set of bowls to put them on your engine and make them work when most of the automotive world was going, this is witchcraft, this is craziness, and I don't know why you'd want to do it. Now, there are a few pioneers around back in the day. Uh, one of them I've spoken about before, a guy by the name of uh, David Innell, who, who forged quite a fearsome reputation as, as being an adopter of turbochargers to otherwise normal, normally aspirated engines. And yeah, he got some incredible results. And a lot of his work is well documented. I mean, who would twin turbocharge and, and four-wheel drive an XF Falcon? Well, David did. And apparently, from all reports, I don't know much about that car, but from all reports, it seemed to work and work fairly well. There you go. There were, however, some other guys that flew a little under the radar in this whole thing, and I was fortunate enough to do a bit of work with and know one of them reasonably well. He was a Victorian guy, a guy by the name of Bill Santuccioni, that ran a company called SVD, I believe it was, in St Kilda Special Vehicles Division, before there were Nissan SVDs and whatever, but Bill was truly an incredible man of our times when it came to turbocharging. Some of you may have heard the name before and know that he was one of the guys that was on the engine building line or in the engine building labs for the uh, GDHO Falcons, the Phase 3, and doing like the race specials for Moffat and the likes back in the day. This guy was a very talented engineer, but a very quiet sort of pulled back guy and quite restrained unlike me <laughs> and uh, he would um, get me over to Melbourne because you know when all of the computer stuff and, and programming ECUs was very very new and I'm talking mid 90s here mid 90s yep that long ago I would go over there and I would tune the J-Port chips in Falcons for him and you know do just some nice little cam upgrade stuff and you know, nice little street package stuff, but, you know, deep down inside, inside of Bill, there beat a heart of uh, pure turbocharger cowboy. And when we would go out, after we'd been on a bit of a tuning binge for the day, we would go to a place, I reckon it was called the Vineyard on uh, Ackland Road, St Kilda, and it was a great steak restaurant, and Bill used to love it, and it was there we could get some incredible stories out of him. Like Bill's claim to fame, or his personal favourite, his claim to fame not many knew about, 
was turbocharging F100s, getting a dirty big TO4E, hand fabricating manifolds, crossover pipes, um, jetting big four barrels that they made a top hat for that they blew through and locking up distributors to make these things run. And they would, you know, they would build the engines and decompress the engines. There were no real half measures back then like you get now. It wasn't like, let's strap a turbocharger to a piss-weak engine and try and tune the weakness out of it with the right fuel and timing curves, which you can do. Back then, you couldn't. Back then, there weren't any little sort of uh, child spec internal wastegates. Everything was big external gate. Everything had 10, 20 pounds running through it, or 20 pounds, was decompressed, would run on avgas, and these guys would just pull a string and see how they went. And, you know, Bill built himself this F100, and he would regale stories to us of being able to go down St Kilda Road and, and hit the throttle up over a couple of the risers there down that end of it and pick the front left wheel up in the air. This thing had that much torque and power. I mean, who really knows how much torque and power it had? I mean, chassis dinos weren't much chop back then, or they're only just starting to become decent things with the advent of um, dyno dynamics. And yeah, we had an early one, and they were they were a great tool in their day, and probably still are. Um, but Bill used to be able to loft a front wheel in this thing. It had that much torque and that much power. And, you know, the V8 guys of the day would have considered him a lunatic. And yes, more than likely he was a fair lunatic for doing this, but he had smelt it. He had seen it and he had seen what applying boost to an engine could do. Now I'm sure there were failures. I'm sure there were things that went wrong. I mean, they didn't have a lot of control over the timing curve. Back then, Motec was just in its infancy and and these guys had done this several years even before then. So it wasn't as if you could just run out and buy a management system. They had to lock distributors. They had to lock them at, say, a fixed 15 or 20 degrees so that the thing had been lazy off boost, but they would have to give it the timing curve or the flat timing number that it needed to run on boost. So yeah, these things were hairy running things at the best of times. But Bill loved turbocharging his Ford V8s. I hope you're still around, Bill, and I hope you're still listening to this. It's been 20 years or more since I've spoken to you, but you were a great inspiration on me in my early days. One of the funniest stories he ever told me was when they turbocharged uh, Holden straight six. He wasn't much, he was more, He was a Ford man. He was a, he was a blue oval boy through and through, but he, he did turbocharge a straight six Holden and you know, they built some rods and, sorry, they built an engine with some rods and pistons and, you know, did a head and did a boost-friendly cam, whatever that is. And uh, he was telling me that it was an amazing thing because within, well, with over 25 pounds of boost in it from a from a big TO3 at the time, a big Garrett ARS, Air Research Turbo or a Triple K or one of those crazy things that existed back then, big, dirty old bush bearing air chopper he reckons that on the dyno because they put this one on the dyno on the chassis dyno there was a glow coming under the bonnet whenever this thing was on boost when it was making big numbers so he decided to rig up a concoction not wanting anybody else in the engine bay or around the engine bay when he was running it in case the thing just flew apart and killed everyone and everything in the room and i will be doing an episode on on dyno stuff ups very soon so uh hold tight for that one 
but Bill developed a way of putting a drawstring on the throttle so he could actually pull the throttle standing alongside the engine bay. Yep, and hold this thing on full noise while he was standing alongside it. He wasn't that scared. He was just scared for others. And he told me the story that the glow was coming from being able, he reckons you were able to see the combustion. The head was lifting that much on this Holden 6 at that boost level that you could see the glow coming out between the head and the block. Now, I don't know how true that was, but what a fantastic story. And... You know, these guys were not frightened to hit the throttle in these things and give them everything. I mean, everything they had. And I'm sure there were more guys around doing it than Bill and, and, and Dave Inno in more of a production sense. There were more people around doing it, but I never really heard of them. And I, I, I still class myself to this day as being very fortunate to have worked around the Santucci. What a crazy man. Another one that springs to mind is a good mate of mine that I did lots and lots of work with, a guy by the name of Mark Tilbrook. Some of you may remember his business, Tilbrook Auto and Dino, and he was you know, big into building EFI cars and stuff back in the day and Nissans and twin turbo this and that. But unbeknownst to most is that when he was a basically a kid and I was pretty much even more so a kid because I'm a few years younger than him, he built himself this incredible Holden uh, WB Ute, but instead of going for a 253 or, you know, if you're a baller, you went for a plastic, a 308 in this thing, he built himself up a nice little straight six 202, really tidy package, and he went down the local uh, turbo dealers and, and found himself a, I think it was like some sort of Garrett kit that they did for them back in the day with a beautiful cast manifold and a TO4 sitting on it. And you just bolted all of this on and you put your own oil lines to it. Forget about water cooling. That They didn't know what that was back then for turbochargers. And you made it all work. And so Mark mucked around with it and he read up lots of books. You know, he was no expert at turbocharging at the time. He was soon to become one. But at that time he wasn't. So he read up all of the books. And I reckon he ran about 20 pound a boost. And he uh, locked the distributor at about 10 degrees. And he got someone that was a carby specialist, I think, to help him out a little bit, jetting the carby, but did mainly most of it himself, his blow-through carby. Amazing sort of setup. And it made good grunt. You know, it made enough grunt back in the day to simply walk most of the modified 308s. I mean, not that that was probably that hard, but this thing was a revelation that this this crazy dude could put this hairdryer, this, this Jetsons thing, a turbocharger, on the side of a Holden 6 and it would just eat V8s for breakfast. It was an amazing thing. And it wasn't a show pony. It wasn't like a drag car with big wheels and stuff. I mean, it had big wheels, but it wasn't some, you know, one-trick pony. Mark used to tow a ski boat with this thing and he used to tow it hard. I mean, overtaking Mark on the way up to the river to go skiing, even when he had his boat on the back, was God's own job. <laughs> he drove this thing well and he drove it hard and and for the main sort of oh most of its life it was extremely reliable now I wasn't there at the time but he told me this wonderful wonderful story and it yeah it did happen because I saw the the aftermath of it uh, yeah and it was a mess um he was towing back from the river one night and he was 
you know, in a totally speed de-restricted zone, which existed in South Australia back then, apparently. And he was towing his ski boat reasonably fast. And he had this turbo 202 on full load for some long period of time when all of a sudden it sounded like jackhammers going off under the bonnet as he's driving and he's oh shit wow pull over pull over pull over so he's pulled over and he had the glow coming under from under the bonnet in fact when he popped the bonnet fire extinguisher in hand smart boy he was the whole thing was white hot and there was this horrific noise emanating from the engine bay. What had happened is the turbo, which he reckons was so hot, he had a screwdriver in his hand to try and fix whatever was going on. <laughs> yeah, nah, that wasn't gonna happen. The turbocharger got that hot in the days before effective blankets that it had melted through the starter positive and shorted the starter out and pulled the starter in at full noise and just destroyed everything. So there he is. He reckons he could see the screwdriver through the manifold and through the turbine housing. They were that white hot. So there he is standing there trying to just, I don't know what he actually did with the screwdriver apart from go, wow, I have a big problem here. He had a big problem, all right. And he just watched, as he said, as this thing steamed, clicked and cracked away on the side of the road till it was cool enough to organise getting it back to the workshop and having a look at what had gone on. And yeah, it was a proper mess. He reckons the turbocharger had basically, you know where you see those Raiders of the Lost Ark style movies where the skeleton just turns to powder, you know, when someone dies in an awful hurry with some evil spell. Well, that's what had happened to his turbocharger. It was made into some kind of incredible dust and it was totaled, it was thrown a bin, the engine was the same. Every single part of this thing was absolutely toast from a, you know, mega thousand degree exhaust gas temperature shutdown. And yeah, he learned that starter um, positives had to be very well insulated after that. But these were the things that the Boost Cowboys found out that you wouldn't know unless you'd been there and done that. And those boost cowboys that are still around today, you can see how this attention to detail that was forced on them, I mean forced on them, how it applies to their builds today and how sensible they are with seeing where failure points are in things that people simply could not see unless they'd been through it. So yeah, I had the odd chuckle now when I lift the bonnet of a you know, home-built turbo job and there's just no thought put into anything at all. It's like, click on what you want on Wish, buy it, it comes, slam it on the engine, cross your fingers and say, this is ready for tuning. There is so little in the way of environmental engine bay concerns that are put into anything now um, that the Boost Cowboys hadn't learned and do apply to this day so take it as read read some of those old corky bell books like maximum boost and learn some stuff because there is a ton of lessons to be learned there now what was my first experience with a turbo car it's probably not totally relevant because it was a factory turbo car but a mate of mine back in the day it would have been yeah again this is the archives it would have been 88 
had this new incredible computer on wheels. It was a computer on wheels as far as we we're concerned. It was a car called a Nissan ET Turbo. Yep, it was one of those little hatches with the E15T and that and a tiny, tiny little turbocharger on board. Tiny! But to us, back in the day, with its computer-looking dash, those dials were so futuristic. That switchgear, it had air conditioning that worked, and it was only a 1.5-litre four-cylinder. But this thing had some punch. This thing was incredible. Not only could it beat most any V8 off the lights, Cortina six-cylinders, no matter what size car, even if you had a 350 Holly on it, or a 465 or whatever, forget about it. You had no chance against this tiny little, it was one of the centenary editions, I think. It was a burgundy and gold little jigger. You had no chance, and I mean no chance against this thing. And not only could it out-accelerate anything that I'd ever seen on the road, apart from serious-style race cars, it was also capable of maintaining a top speed when we went to the river on 30 plus degree days that was just out of this world. You know, like I said, we had de-restricted zones in Adelaide back then. There were private roads that ran the whole way from the Adelaide Hills, the backside of them to the river. So no speed limits applied, or, or at least that's how memory serves me right, or maybe I'm just making this whole thing up for the sake of your entertainment, which is more than likely the case. But this thing would sit on 180 kilometers an hour, loaded up with ski, get ski gear, two or three people in it, Esky's full of soft drink, and it would just do 180 and it would pass everything in sight. In fact, I think it was even faster than Mark's WB Ute when he had his ski boat on the back. And this was a little Japanese four-cylinder and nothing ever went wrong with it. To me, that was a revelation and I knew I had to get me some of this. So what was my first turbo car? You know, I can't even remember. I sat there. I've owned over oh, 150 cars now. Some of them just as, you know, collector, buy and sell things. Some of them to drive. Some of them I hated and never really drove. And some of them I didn't own for very long. But the one that sticks in my mind as being the most incredible thing was a Lancer EX. Now, this was a Japanese import. And it had a 1.8 derivative of the Starion non-intercooled turbocharged single overhead cam four-cylinder in it it was a gruff rumbly horrible thing and i didn't really own it i had it on extended loan from a good mate of mine at the time but i had this thing for over a year and i drove it everywhere and it was a sensational car it seemed like a you know a real grumbly low down talky thing like those Starion derived engines were but it had that essence of the ET turbo where you could just drive the thing flat out and nothing ever went wrong with it it was an absolutely incredible little car and we put the boost up on it and we put an exhaust on it and we put a fuel cut defender on it so that it could run 12 pounds of boost up from the factory eight or nine and it felt really really fast I reckon it had Oh, 140 kilowatts at the wheels at the time. Yep. And then my brother went out of left field and he bought a factory turbo car. My older brother, Paul, he got himself a Sigma turbo 
factory built. Apparently they were going to use them as police cars in South Australia at some point. But I do believe they failed the durability test. You see, because even though this was a factory turbocharged car, it used something like a, oh, I think it was a suck-through Stromberg carburetor on it. You know, it looked a bit like an SU for those of you old enough to know what an SU is. And what would happen is that on cold mornings, it would actually freeze the throttle open so that, you know, you, you've got an Adelaide morning of approaching freezing with the Celsius numbers in the very low single digits and you give the thing a hammer down the road, you get off the throttle and it keeps going because the throttle blade's frozen open. But luckily the fuel would also freeze and it would form into big slugs that were going through the turbo and it would chug and not run that well to actually run away from you. But yeah, there were some hairy times and I don't, I don't know if Mitsubishi either A, ever fixed that or B, just, continue, just discontinued the Sigma Turbo. But you try finding one of those things now, you know, they were a wild creation and they were a factory creation that was spurred on by the original workings and works of the Boost Cowboys. Here's a brain teaser for you. Think back long enough and I reckon it was the golden or silver jubilee edition of wheels in 1977. I was in single digits then, but my dad bought the magazine and on the cover of it, was a gold, sorry, yellow with black vinyl roof Ford Escort Mark II with huge big single pegger burnout lines behind it. This was on the cover of a national magazine, Wheels, and these guys were just raving because they had been supplied the car with an aftermarket, I think it was a Garrett turbo kit, an air research turbo kit, in all may have had something to do with this, on this two litre manual Escort and they were just blowing away with how much grunt this thing had, how fast it was, and they thrashed the living shit out of it in this road test. Not like you see PC magazines do now. These were real journos. These were hairy-chested men that loved going fast, and they thrashed this thing that hard that they spat the poor little escort rear end out on the ground, actually exploded the thing, and rode it up in the road test as if it was just a really cool thing and that's what you should be doing. That was a really, really uh, defining article for me and I went back and I read that for time after time after time as a kid and, you know, I was licking my lips when Holden dealers were offering VB Commodores. I reckon it was the, was it a Garrett Kidder or it's or it a country dealer team turbocharger on a six-cylinder 202 VB Commodore, and if you optioned it in manual, it was faster and more powerful than any of the factory V8s at the time. I know my, I may have mentioned this before, but back when I was getting, you know, fluoride treatments, because that's what they did to kids back then, my dentist actually had one, and as I was sitting there gargling this horrible orange shit that is probably responsible, according to the Flat Earthers, for making me a mental case today... I was too, I was busy, I was too busy to choke because so I was looking out the window at this wonderful turbocharged Commodore creation. God only knows how good they were to drive, but I reckon he did keep it for a couple of years, which was a record for uh, my dentist. He used to go through cars pretty quickly at the time. So there you go. 
there's the story of the Boost Cowboys, and there's probably many more to come as I think of them. But hey, thanks for listening to Range Anxiety, and don't forget to send me your feedback. I get lots of positive stuff like, wow, this is cool, or positive stuff like, wow, Martin, you're a shithead. But I'm not getting many actual suggestions. There's a handful of 20 people that give me suggestions, but I want to hear from the rest of you. So send your emails to dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. And thanks for tuning in.